Hello, hello, we made it. We're alive and we're back. Um, and I may not sound like it, but I am actually really excited to do today's Zoom. Um, even if it is just two of us on this lovely end of the summer Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday, right? Yep. So today we're going to be talking about PCOS. Um, we're going to be talking about the five different types. I'm going to do my best to try and like, I think this will probably be the most I've talked in like a week. Um, and my head is feeling a little bit inflated, like I've, I inflated, but also like a lead ball at the same time. So we're going to try and get through all five types. Um, if I have to jump early, I'll pick up right where that left off on next week's Zoom. But my hope is that once we get to BSing, it'll all be great. So um, even though we have a few people in here today, um, I want you to participate as much as you can. So Alexis and Mo, thanks for joining us. Um, for the sake of the recording, I might, you know, reread your questions and stuff, but I definitely want you to be asking them no holds bar. Okay. So let's talk about the first one, insulin resistance. And this is, this is the big one. I'm starting with insulin resistance because it's the most popular kind. Um, and it is the hardest one to I don't want to say break, but regulate. So we're going to go through, and for those of you who are just joining us and hopping on now, um, I'm going to go through all five types of PCOS today. I'm going to try my hardest to get through all five, but this is the most I've been talking in like the last week. So my hope is that I'll get the, the big ones out of the way and pick up where I leave off if I can't finish on next week soon. All right, so let's get into it. Insulin resistant. So insulin resistant PCOS, tell me in the chat, if you have insulin resistance, say me or put your hand up, whatever it is that you do in Zoom etiquette. But tell me, if you're watching today and you have insulin resistance, I want you to share it with us in the chat in some way. You know, um, it's interesting being a type 1 diabetic and insulin resistant, because I am insulin resistant myself, I have the added bonus of having to inject myself with the the very hormone that my body seems to be resistant to, to keep myself alive. So um, a lot of people assume that type one diabetics, because you can give yourself insulin for anything that you wouldn't have those PCOS, uh, those insulin resistant PCOS type of issues, but we do. So I'm in good company. Tell me in the chat, those of you watching with insulin resistance and uh, just a reminder, I talk with you weekly. So I know who does and who doesn't. Okay, Wendy, we got IR and I aren't friends. Insulin resistance won't leave me alone. Stuck to me like a clingy boyfriend. Ain't that the truth? Got Becca. Yep. So this is the most common one. And if you'll notice, when you started working with me, I might have asked you, have you been diagnosed insulin resistant? Or does your doctor just assume that you are? And it's, it, there's a big difference because we're kind of, especially with PCOS, we're told that carbs are the enemy and you have to maintain your blood sugars and you have to watch your insulin spikes and all that. And we don't know a lot of times what the hell that even means, right? Now I've been, I've been training in all things insulin since I was seven years old. I've had no other option to, but I think that everybody just kind of gets put into the bracket. Insulin resistance while common is not everybody with PCOS. And what happens is, those of you who like these little science breakdowns, what happens is we require the hormone insulin to convert the carbs that we're eating into energy for our cells to use. 
And I don't just mean like physical energy. I mean, literally the life force for these cells to operate and do all of the things that our cells need to do stems from the reaction we have to carbohydrates. Okay. And from insulin. So what happens is your body will start to think um, the cells start to become resistant to that insulin, therefore requiring more insulin than necessary to do the same conversion. Follow me so far? So what happens is when your body needs more insulin, you release more insulin. And that doesn't mean that you actually need that insulin. So once your food is converted over, all that excess that's remaining turns into male hormones, turns into androgenic hormones, I should say. So once it's turned into those excess androgenic hormones, it throws you all out of whack hormonally, which I'll get to when we talk about androgenic and estrogenic, right? But besides that, as our body converts the, this, these... um sorry, COVID fog, but as our body converts these carbs into energy for our cells, that's what regulates our blood sugar. So if you've ever heard, you need to manage your blood sugars and you're like, I basically know what that is, but not quite. What that means is you want to make sure that no matter what you're doing, you're not causing, you're not doing something that's either going to cause a huge drop in blood sugars or a huge spike in blood sugars. And that's what insulin regulates. So if you have too much insulin, it does too good of a job, let's say, of managing your blood sugars, and it drops you low. If you eat too much, um, let's say if you're on like border bordering diabetes, right, type 2, you might eat something that doesn't respond well with your insulin, and then your blood sugars shoot up because you don't have enough insulin, right? So that's always what you're kind of watching out for. Now, those of us who aren't diabetic up in here, um, you, don't, you have a lot more leeway because you're not going to have as intense drops and spikes. But if you're insulin resistant, what does that mean? It means you release too much insulin. So a lot of times doctors will be trying, will be thinking that you're eating a lot of carbs, you're eating a lot of sugar, and that's what's causing all of this. But really what's happening is you're releasing too much insulin, which is making your blood sugars drop too low and sending an emergency response to your brain saying, give me more sugar because my blood sugars are low. It's, the, it, it's a biological survival instinct to then eat sugar or eat carbs to be able to raise those blood sugars up to a healthy, you know, normal level so that you can feel good again and your body can be functioning. So you're not AKA cravings, right? So who in hearing this cycle feels like this happens to them throughout the day? And I'll get into what that feels like specifically, but just hearing the up and the down and how our bodies respond do you feel more validated even knowing how difficult insulin resistance is? Because it's one of the subtypes of PCOS, but this is a whole protocol in and of itself of, of something we have to treat. Insulin resistance is no joke. Share with me your thoughts in the comments before I, I dump more information on you. I don't even know that I have PCOS, but I've been looking into insulin resistance. And that's a good point, Mo. So Mo said, I don't know that I even have PCOS, but I've been looking into insulin resistance. And the thing about that is it's kind a lot of times becomes chicken or the egg. People don't know. They're like, you know, because the symptoms of insulin resistance are PCOS like, it's like people don't know. Is it the insulin resistance that's causing all this? Is it the PCOS that's causing the insulin resistance? So there's a lot of, it's like a big puzzle, which is why we look at these five different types with all of their different symptoms and everything to try and figure out what our body could be telling us. 
So that's a really good point. They told me to tell the nutritionist I'm diabetic and to go keto. Who is they exactly? And did they do blood work? I hear the craziest shit from how people handle insulin resistance and hormones in, in, in the wild, I should say, every day. And I should be like, I shouldn't be surprised after doing this for as long as I have, but I still am. This is why I've been thinking about this because ever since I was like 21, I've had major drops. Absolutely. I'm late to the Zoom, but I have insulin resistance and it sucks. It is an absolute pain in the ass. It really is. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Not diagnosed with it, but the absolute nausea and headache I get when I don't eat. That is That could be something else too. That could be adrenal as well. And we'll get into all the intricacies of them. But if you're noticing that when you don't eat, it's, it's accompanied by, I almost took my computer out on that one. If you notice that it's accompanied with um, shakiness, moodiness, complete lack of focus to an overwhelming degree, um, clamminess, you might sweat a lot more, you know, all of those things. Yeah. Blood sugar drops are terrible. It's, it feels like a panic attack that's gone physical really quick, you know? So, um, I've trained myself to mostly not be hungry since college, but I'd get with huge intense cravings randomly sometimes. Yeah. And that would be, that would probably be a drop in your blood sugars for sure. And this is, this is where, you know, I don't think we do a good enough job talking about how important protein is. You've heard me say protein is just, we don't live in a convenient place for protein. People can't just like go cook a steak in the middle of their work day, you know? Um, so I think we're all walking around here protein deficient. And I say that because protein actually sustains blood sugars. People think that they need carbs for satiety. And we do to a degree, but really that satisfying like blood sugar sustaining effect comes from protein. Carbs are just the more convenient, readily available option. And honestly, eating is the most important thing. You know, so I'll never tell someone don't eat if, it, if you only have carbs available. But when you have insulin resistance, it, it adds that other layer of like things that we need that don't really aren't conducive to our everyday life, you know? So, um, Becca, definitely let's get some blood sugars for you. I'll message you after this. If you don't, if I don't message you, cause my brain is kaputs for today, send me a message. And then tomorrow I'll send you a list of blood sugars I want to grab. Cause I love how they casually just sprinkle that in like, Oh, you're diabetic. Go do keto. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, the thing about insulin resistance is, it's very hard to break because you do, I'm going to say the thing that I'm going to backtrack it. You do have to go low carb for insulin resistance. Um, our bodies respond more intensely to carbs, having that uh, the excess carbs there, or I shouldn't even say excess, having a normal amount of carbs that someone without insulin resistance could process no problem to us might be the difference between experiencing awful symptoms or not. Um, so the hard part about that is that. And you know, from working with me, from seeing my posts, if you're new and everything like that, I, I swear I am not a diet conscious coach, but when we're trying to reprogram how your body responds to carbs with insulin, it's more important to focus on protein to be able to sustain your blood sugars. Now, the hard part with that, 
and why I focus so much on binge patterns is because if you don't address the binge patterns, when you hit those low blood sugars and your body tells you, oh my God, alert, alert, go get something to eat. It's binge central. Who's, who's been there before? You only eat all day. You run a low blood sugar and it's everything out of your fridge. And then the next day you're, you feel like you didn't even sleep at night. You wake up, you're sluggish. You're screaming at your family. You don't want to eat anything, but you're hungry at the same time. Like, and it's because it's all set in motion from the day prior, right? So when we're working with insulin resistance, it's not about being strictly low carb as much as it is being mindful to try to increase your protein intake. So that's really what you're leaning on because you don't want to go the opposite route where you just don't really eat either. You know, like I said, carbs are convenient and delicious and we're programmed to go for them for lots of reasons. So you want to be able to have that, that continuous stream of protein throughout the day. That will really help. Um, another thing I see when it comes to helping battle insulin resistance is, sorry, out of breath. Hang on. Decaf wrap, by the way. Can't taste it, but at least the texture is good. Um, but, sorry, trying to remember what I was just saying. Can someone give me a thought jogger? Where did I just leave off? Tell me in the chat. Oh, front loading. So, and some of you might be annoyed by this step because it is honestly like one of those steps that sounds really simple, but in application, it can be a little, it can be difficult and annoying, right? Who's struggled with the front loading of the carb step? Because nobody thinks that they're gonna until they are. <laughs> but we're kind of programmed to be eating the majority of our carbs like towards the nighttime when we're not doing as much. You know, when we're home, relaxing, when we're unwinding, we're gonna be watching TV and going to bed in a few hours. You know, it's just with work scheduling and everything like that. Um, it, and it's just kind of our culture to be able to, you know, we'll, we'll grab an egg or a yogurt or, or something in the morning. If, if, if I know plenty of people come to me who don't even eat in the morning at first, right? And then they'll have like a salad for lunch. And then they'll have like snacks, you know, some snacks here. And then comes dinner time where it's the whole day's worth of carbs in one meal. And that, that's just kind of how our culture's set up. That's usually when we have the time to prepare food or, you know, we're grabbing something. If we don't have the time to prepare, we're grabbing something kind of just comforting, filling on the way home. Happens to have more carbs, you know. So being able to switch and have the majority of your carbs in the morning where you know you're going to utilize them because you're going to be more physically active. You're going to be requiring yourself to use them, all that. You're going to end up not storing as much and you're not going to have that issue where you have all this excess insulin floating around. Versus at night, when you're eating more carbs, you have not only the excess insulin because you're insulin resistant, but it's having that excess insulin at night, which is going to linger into your next day and cause all kinds of issues. So I think, you know, we're used to being told just don't eat carbs. But if you really stop and try to think about how and why that is and how your body interacts with them, and only if you're insulin resistance, insulin resist, resistant, then you know, you can really stop and see and say, it's not carbs are not the enemy. I just need to know what the hell my body's doing with these carbs to, to be able to budget with it and play with it. And the more protein you add to compensate for the things that you're changing out of your day to day, 
the better you're going to feel because you are going to be full. You are going to be satiated. A lot of the cravings and that empty feeling around food and all that, the shittiness we feel during the day, a lot of that just comes from not eating enough during the day, not having enough protein for our body to function, and then eating all our carbs at night. You know, of course, you're going to feel like crap. You feel better when you start to move those things around. And it doesn't even have to mean that you have to eliminate a lot of stuff. You can just shift how you consume it. Does that help a little bit for the insulin resistance category of it all? And the good news is it doesn't last forever, you know? So um, this is what I wanted to say before. When you're trying, when I'm working with a client and we're trying to, I hate using this term, but it's easiest, break insulin resistance. And we're trying to reframe how your body responds with insulin. At first we're going lower carb, right? Like I said, you're trying to focus more on protein, pushing the carbs for the morning time more. So at night it's more protein heavy, blah, blah, blah. You're going to run more lows in the beginning, low, low blood sugars, because your body gets used to needing to release a certain amount of insulin. And that is what we're trying to change. So initially when we are changing those things, you're going to be feeling it more because your body's like, man, why don't you need this? This, this insulin's here. Like where's the carbs at? You know, so that during that adjustment, what's really important is that you have sugar-free um, or lower carb or whatever replacements on hand, because you don't want to restrict yourself from eating in those moments. Do not just tough it out. You're going to put a lot of stress on yourself. It's going to be a way harder to actually get through because it takes time for you to break through that insulin resistance. You want to trick your brain, right? Get a sugar, a zero sugar soda get, um, there's smart sweets. There's, I have a whole list of nutrition favorites in the classroom, you know, all different types of candies. Text me and I'll tell me your favorite stuff. We'll figure it out. But you want to trick your brain into thinking that you are eating something sweet. Even if you're not, it's like sugar-free, right? Because if you're not a diabetic who's taking extra insulin, like artificial insulin, like me, eventually your body will level out your liver contains glucose storage in it so that when it detects that your blood sugars are too low, it will eventually release glucose to bring your blood sugars back up. But because our alarm bells going off and we get those crazy cravings for sugar or for carbs because our blood sugars are low, a lot of times we jump the gun. We treat our low blood sugar with carbs or sugar, whatever. And then our liver kicks in with the glucose and then round and round the insulin, you know, carousel. So if you can try to divert away from having sugar or carbs in that moment, but do not restrict yourself, just kind of trick your brain into having something that tastes sweet, but maybe isn't, right? It gives your body a chance to have your liver kick in with its own glucose. Every time you get through a low without treating with excess sugar or carbs, your body becomes more in tune to how much insulin you need. So little by little, it stops releasing so much, which starts causing less and less low blood sugars. Does this make sense? I feel like Charlie Day in front of the board today, like how, you know, the, the meme where he's like trying to explain everything's all cracked out. That's how I feel. So please tell me in the chat if this is making sense, if you need me to go back over something. Because I've also been talking about this stuff since I was seven. So a lot of times I forget what isn't common knowledge. And if you need me to clarify something, I don't mind it at all. Tell me in the chat, is this making sense? 
let's see what you guys are saying. My first baby step and it's still a struggle. The front loading the carbs, right, Lexus? Yeah. So um, when it comes to front loading your carbs, I think because it's so foreign, you almost want to preemptively do that yourself. So like have a designated morning carb. Um, I really like telling clients to cut up, just get a sweet potato, peel it, slice it into little discs and air fry them. And you could just have like a couple little discs with some like, maybe not cottage cheese for you, even though I found dairy-free cottage cheese, I have to find the one, the brand and send it to you, Alexis. But I thought of you today when I saw it. Um, but you put on, you can put some hummus on there. You know, you put some, even I've seen people put peanut butter and like a little bit of uh, sugar-free maple syrup on top, you know? So you, I like sweet potatoes as like a little bit, a little dose of carb in the morning. It's nice and complex too. So your body will take a little bit of time breaking it down. So it should keep you fuller longer too. How do you front load carbs on metformin? So... I think this depends on when someone's metformin symptoms kick in the worst. And I think that sometimes it's like, is it related to something you're eating? Is it just because metformin gives you the shits? Is it time related? Is, you know, there's so many different factors that can go into how someone responds with a GI symptom that I think that that would, that would be more individual. So if you can, Samantha, if you can text me kind of like what you're, when you notice you're the most quote unquote active in the gastro department each day, we can try and work around that individually for your tummy schedule. Um, <laughs> would eat. Yes. No, I, I know, especially this time of year, I don't, everyone knows me knows I'm a big summer person, but there is something about toasting up a sweet potato with some like maple something or other in the fall. I'll deal with it. It makes it tolerable. So <laughs> Please hold, I have to cough. Nobody wanted to be present for that. Um, so yeah, no, toasted sweet potato with almond butter sounds delicious. Um, and then the other the other thing with that is like I want my clients to eat a lot. I know that sounds weird, but there are so many, and I think people in the retreat really saw this because you you know, whether it, like each meal, we cooked a lot. It wasn't a lot of time consuming stuff that we cooked, but there were, a, there was a lot of just variety of pickings of things that are fiber rich, you know, like dense. Um, I, I, we eat so much less than I think we realize we can so that we feel like so many of my clients think that they binge out or they eat so much every day. And I look at their foods and I'm just like, society's done a number here, you know? So I think just because something doesn't contain a lot of carbs, like you can get away with eating a lot of food when you're not looking at like food for it being carbs or this or that or the other thing. Like I baked up a whole cabbage right at the retreat and that doesn't sound that alluring. I think what Becca, you were there, right? Mo didn't get to try it, but I'm trying to think, Becca, what did you think of the cabbage? Because cabbage sounds vastly unappealing it's having a renaissance, which I'm very happy for. Um, I've been a longtime fan because it also balances out adrenals, right? And all it is is you. I chopped up like a whole head of cabbage, like just oil, soy sauce, sesame oil, salt, pepper, stick it in the oven. A little bit of lemon juice on each one. 
stick it in the oven until it's all browned up and all real soft and good. You know, mix it up in the pan, toast it again, just to get it nice and crispy. Eat the whole tray if you want. And that's a lot of friggin' food, right? So, and that's just sticking a head of cabbage in the oven. I think we get pigeonholed into thinking about like, like we don't even know what the hell to feed ourselves anymore. But if you really just stopped and said like, how do I work with this ingredient? How do I eat a lot of food? Cause I'm really hungry today. You know, like come to me with those questions. Cause I, your girl now, nowadays loves to eat, you know, it, it's like a whole world of food out there. That's really exciting. And it, it's outside of dieting. Like, so with insulin resistance is the last I'll say it can be very, it can seem like you have to be strict, but you really don't have to be. You just have to kind of rework what you're looking at food wise and kind of how you like to eat, you know? So, okay. For the sake of time, I wish that was more direct, but text me if you have any questions about that or want any recipe ideas, brainstorming, whatever. Okay. Um, next one up. I'm trying to think. Let's do adrenal. Let's do adrenal. Okay. Adrenal PCOS. This is the one I see with my clients who will not eat all day long and not because they're telling themselves like, oh, you shouldn't eat. Like maybe, or maybe that's what led here, but ultimately your appetite just doesn't like food's an afterthought until you're home and it's all you want right at night. And maybe not even like I've had clients who will literally just sustain on 500 calories a day because they just don't get hungrier. So those clients are also usually finding that they're, they're just so tired throughout the day, but they're wired. They're more of the, you might even be proud to say you're on like a type A, right? But that type A is running on like in, at the drop of a hat, you could be screaming at someone or you could be internally freaking out because you're so anxious. It doesn't feel like type A, like energy. It's type A panic, <laughs> you know, just anxiety, you just feel like you're, you're vibrating with, you know, energy that you can't really clearly use all day long. Um, those clients might find that their ADHD is a lot more difficult to manage to kind of go hand in hand, believe it or not. Surprise. Um, might find you're exhausted all day besides the, you know, that anxious wired feeling. And then at night when you're trying to fall asleep, you just can't slip into sleep. Like it just takes you forever to feel comfy, to drift into sleep which seems really ironic if you're exhausted all day, right? Those clients might tend to have more inflammation in their lower limbs. They might tend to have fuller faces, carry their weight in their upper bodies, have issues with their hair and their skin, have um, extreme meltdowns or like either the fight or flight in a massive way. Meaning you just hit a wall where you can't even talk to people. You need to be secluded or you just go off the deep end and screaming at everybody and you can't stand anything. Anybody ever experience anything like this? I literally was, ooh, I like it when the chat goes ding, ding, ding. I literally was the person who would legitimately forget to eat all day and only drink coffee, super type A, running on fumes, not screaming at people, but breaking down, weepy and crying to myself. Yeah, just like out of overstimulation, right? Um, freeze or fawn, yep. Ding, ding, ding. I was hangry for about 10 years, but never ate. <laughs> that is a vibe. <laughs> um, even the lower leg swelling pain, didn't know that was a symptom. Yeah. And here's another fun fact. This is particularly common amongst those who have faced trauma in their past. 
You don't need glaring blood work either. This one gets missed all the time because you might not have very obvious hormonal, a hormonal presence that shows a, an adrenal issue. You might have normal totals, like your daily totals are fine, but the way your body is releasing your hormones is out of whack compared to how it should be. So it's gonna screw up all the other processes in between, right? This could be caused by trauma, like I mentioned. Long-standing, having to be in emergency mode, having to be aware. Um, trauma doesn't have to be abuse necessarily. It could be from moving a lot as a kid being left alone a lot as a kid, having undiagnosed ADHD as a kid or OCD or ASD, any of them. Um, it also can be, uh, is very common as a result of those who did a lot of co competitions, like fitness competitions, um, those in eating disorder recovery. Really all of this takes a massive hit on your adrenals, which manages your entire stress system. So I think this is hitting on cylinders here. Hey, right, let's see. Leg swelling is related. Yes, we tend to have more edema, especially in our lower extremities. Spicy memories, <laughs> trauma. I like calling them spicy memories. And good point, Samantha. Yes, you can have both. Like, so these, all of these five different types, yeah, we're definitely going to have to do this as a two-parter, which I, makes me excited. Sorry to be long-winded, but I've missed talking to you guys. Okay, so, um, but a lot of these, you can have multiple types. You can even jump types throughout your life. So you could have, like, I started out very, very, very androgenic when I was younger. A, light, a nice little life of trauma and eating disorders and neurodivergency will have changed, would, you know, change that into adrenal. And I've always been insulin resistant because I have PCOS and I'm on synthetic insulin. So um, for me, I've swapped out my androgenic for my adrenal, but I also have insulin resistant. That's why it's so important to understand these. Um, and as I'm writing out my book, I want you guys to be more aware of this puzzle that we all are, because it's not just cysts, it's not just messed up periods. It's, it's, a, it's a disease of disordered hormones, not a disordered ovary or ovaries, you know? So much more than that. Um, super stressed out eating disorder, ballet dancer, always hard on myself. Yeah. I see a lot of dancers, a lot of college athletes, um, clients will be adrenal when they come to me. And these are not the types of people like they'll sit there and they'll meal prep out a whole week's worth of stuff. They'll weigh their food. They'll have everything down to a T and they can't figure out why they're having symptoms. They're not seeing results, you know, all quote unquote results. And it's because it, it's the, the very annoying thing about CCA newbies will come to learn and veterans have learned by now we go slow for a reason because mm -hmm. these little things are not going to be this isn't going to you know meal prepping your boiled eggs for the week is not going to be the thing that fixes an adrenal mess that takes time you know um so adrenal adrenal is my favorite type of pcos to work with because it's basically teaching people how to take care of themselves, like literally take care of, like they'll be phenomenal at taking care of their kids, their jobs, their homes, their whatever, you know, or maybe they don't even think that they are, but I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job at it, but you don't know how to take care of yourself. You don't know how to give yourself tender, loving care and just enjoy food and eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and go to bed at a certain time and have a routine. And those things sound like a pipe dream to a lot of my adrenal clients. And 
it's my favorite thing in the world to just help people realize like that stuff matters. That's going to give you results in your weight, in your hair, in your skin, in your labs, just simply taking care of yourself. And I think it's interesting when people realize how hard it is for a lot of different reasons to take care of ourselves. So that's why this stuff is slow, you know? But, oh, uh, well, I love that. Hi, year three and just started changing a teensy bit. I, I, from your perspective, I've been loving the transformation, but <laughs> I'm biased. Um, and let me tell you, these changes are, are worth the slow pace it's going. It's like a whole new setup, right? Because let me tell you, like I've, weight or not, like when you see your body literally set up differently, like the way it responds to things, the when you feel like you've known this jalopy body of yours this whole time, and then you start to have like hope and seeing how it reacts in a different way, that's exciting. And, and that takes time, you know? You almost like summer again. That's right to my heart because that's my season. Um, everybody deserves to love summer. All right. Um, let's see, we're at 35 minutes. We can probably do another one that's really good here. Let's do, let's do post pill slash uh, fertility PCOS. So fertility in, in itself, that I am trying to figure out how to make a Zoom that does it justice. So that's going to be its own topic. However, PCOS, in regards to the pill, whether it's coming off of the pill, um, utilizing the pill for certain hormonal you know, hormone replacement therapy, thing like things like that. I have clients who have had partial hysterectomies who go on the pill for hormone replacement therapy, you know, things like that. But all of it tangos with all of this PCOS stuff. And a lot of times that leads to symptoms where you don't know what the hell your period's doing. If you don't even have a period, right? Then you don't know what your hormones are doing, but you can feel the fluctuations. And now you don't have that benchmark, you know, that bleed, let's say, to kind of tie it around to each month, right? So you're just kind of floating around just to seeing day to day, what are my symptoms today? Am I going to have my period today? You know, um, and for those of you, I mean, we all have PCOS in here that are those of us who have PCOS in here can relate to that in general. But when it's post pill or um, fertility PCOS, it's like you can tell the difference because your body feels foreign. It's not a surprise that it's messed up, right? Like who, who can relate to this? Does anyone in here come off of the pill and then watch their body be like, what? Because it's definitely been eye-opening for me. Um, coming off the pill, I don't even remember what I said. I think it was like almost 18 years of being on the pill. Um, and now seeing my body, especially after miscarriage a couple months ago, I finally got my period back like the day that I tested positive for COVID because why wouldn't that happen? Um, but everything that happens to your body as it pertains to those, the, the additional hormones that are introduced to your body, whether it be from the pill, lack of the pill or loss, you know, miscarriage, all of those cause a surge in all the different hormones that make up what should be happening normally. It's almost like we're overloaded with those hormones. And as our body begins to regulate itself, come up with these, these peaks, these valleys, these clues that tell your body it's time to have your period, it's time to ovulate, it's time to do all these things, your body has to relearn those cues. I see a lot of that uh, of post pill PCOS relating to um, inflammatory PCOS, 
which we'll pick up on on the next call. Um, inflammatory PCOS is annoying because it's another one of those like got to take care of yourself kind of treatment plans, like with adrenal. But there are lots of reasons why that's not easy to do. Right. So without going off on a tangent into inflammatory, um, let me see what you guys are saying about. Share with me, if you can, in the comments, what it was like for you coming off. And this is IUD as well. If you've come off the I come, had an IUD removed, um, if you've had one implanted and then noticed things were all out of whack after that happened. Tell me in the chat if you've noticed how your PCOS has fluctuated with the addition of hormones, whether it's the pill or whatever. I came off birth control about 10 years ago and it was a wild time. Yeah. And I mean, listen, some people, some people don't even notice anything different. Like some people come off the pill and they feel fine. There's whatever. I'm not going to lie. I didn't feel any different. Um, I think my skin got a little weird for a minute. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I honestly, I was, I know now this, it's going to be annoying, but I really, I tried to affirm the best I could that I transitioned pretty decently. You know, I transitioned mildly off the pill. My body picked up the cue. I did get pregnant the first month, you know? Um, so I think, but I'll have had clients who it's like, they get hit, like, like getting hit with a truck as soon as they stop me in the past. I remember if I went a week missing my pill, Oh my God, the symptoms I would get, I would get an extra period. I would feel, and it was terrible. So um, I think it's just, it's so individual with how our bodies interact with these pills. And a lot of times each of these different birth controls is a whole different complex of hormones. It's almost like playing, you know, um, what's like, is it roulette? Roulette's game. It's almost like roulette. Like you don't quite know what's going to land on, you know, like it, is this a good fit for my hormonal complex? Is this too much? Is this not enough? And that's why they tell you, you might have to try a bunch of different birth controls to quote unquote, find the one that works for you. It's because how it's interacting with your specific balance of hormones might be a great match, might be a horrible match, you know? So it's, it's been crazy. I remember being in the car, absolutely drained, feeling the hormones leaving my body. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I remember um, in the past when I had tried to come off of the pill, it felt like I didn't even feel like, like it felt like the depression of PMDD, like what's the word I'm looking for? Is it the dysphoria of PMDD where it's just like, I didn't even feel uh, a dissociation of PMDD. I felt so dissociated. I was like, I don't even feel like a real person. I feel like I'm in a movie. And I remember it being because I was off my pill for like a week past the, the uh, pack at the end. It was crazy. It was a good amount of time there. I had no business being on birth control. I don't know how the hell it worked. You know, I'd take it some days. I'd take it a couple hours later the next day. And it's crazy to think of what we were playing with. And, you know, this is dark, but the one good thing about my mom getting breast cancer was that I was only on strong hormonal birth control for a little bit. And then they gave me the lowest dose hormones possible. Now I got pregnant on the pill. Oh, so that no <laughs> firewall was breached <laughs> but however because of the lower dose I think there was basically no transition you know it's it's crazy too like I I've had clients who you know what I'm gonna tell you my IUD story because I don't know why that feels relative relevant right now but um I wanted to come off the pill a while ago and my doctors were like 
kind of for it, but kind of against it, which was weird. They wanted me to go on an IUD because at the time we thought that I had a, a clotting factor and I have some, you know, questionable cancers in the family and stuff like that. So they were pushing real hard for the IUD and I did not want one. Since I told this story, I want to say one out of three people I tell this story to tell me that they experienced something similar, which is really, really freaking weird. But the doctor goes, don't worry, we're going to put you in for an IUD. We'll call your insurance. We'll see if it gets approved. And I'm like, no, thanks. No need for that. Um, I'm just going to stick it out with my pill, I guess, you know, until I'm ready to come off of it. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll let you know if they get approved. And I'm like, okay. So I leave. They call me up and they're like, great news. Your IUD has been approved. I'm like, well, that's interesting, but I don't want it. So thank you, but no, thank you. They're like, okay, cool. We're going to make you an appointment. Um, can you come in next week? Blah, blah, blah. It was like the weirdest thing. It was like, they didn't even hear me that I did not want it. And I'm like, so I'm not coming in. So that's cool. But thank you for letting me know, hung up everything. A couple weeks later, I get a, I get like three calls from the office back to back. And the lady's like, are you coming? Like, are you going to be here or not? Like, you're going to get charged for a no show. And I lost my mind because they just, they had put me down for this IUD insertion. Like they were so gung ho for it. I never went, never got it. I never paid that fee because screw that. But like, <laughs> do you have an IUD in your ears? Can you not hear me? <laughs> exactly. I want. I, I, I literally said, I was like, do you get a kickback for every IUD you put up in someone? Because like, this is aggressive. I hope you get commission for this. You know, it was crazy. Excuse me. So I think that when it comes to hormone replacement therapy, birth control, whatever it is, it is all our own prerogative. You know, it's up to you to look into what you feel like is best for you. I was on it for years. It did its job when I was trying to literally prevent a pregnancy. Like I, that's pretty much what I used it for after a while, you know? So no stigma, but just know it, it can, for, no one in here is in here because the pill did all of this to us, you know, like we pretty much been battling our bodies for a bit, but keep an eye out on the transition on and off of that because that could definitely exacerbate stuff. So, all right. I hope that this cracked out rendition of a few of the different types of PCOS was helpful. I would love to know what you guys found um, to be the biggest takeaways or just the most helpful from this. If you can do me a huge favor and just put it in the general chat once we log off of here, just whatever stood out to you. Um, and then we'll pick back up on next Wednesday with what we, we'll cover inflammatory as well as androgenic and estrogenic. All right. So it's good to be back. I missed you guys. I'm still digging through all my texts and everything. So thank you for your patience still. But if you have any questions at all, please feel free to shoot me a text and enjoy the rest of your night and your week. Okay. Bye.